0: Years ago, a little over eight years ago, yep. so like eight and a quarter. What we'll brought you out here? Music. I started playing with the Acer and um, pretty much right when I moved here. But I I finished playing with Up Montreal and my sister was living here. And my last show was here was at, on the David Letterman show. And I literally took a cab and went to her house, slept on her couch for a couple of weeks, and then got my own place and started playing with the Acer and the rest is history. How did you hook up, up Montreal? They saw me play with Caribou. Okay. And uh, the story with the Caribou story, I'm sure you've heard it. I I replaced their drummer Brad Weber after he broke his wrist. Yeah. And they kind of called me up in this like this like crazy crazy like fit. You know, they needed to replace him and they couldn't cancel their tour. And um, they needed me that night and I was driving to a job interview and I literally turned the car around and went <laughs> to the airport. <laughs> Yeah. Flew to Raleigh, North Carolina, learned all of their music on April first, uh, two thousand and seven. Yeah, two thousand and seven. No, two thousand and six. Two thousand and eight. Sorry, two thousand eight. April first, two thousand and eight. Played my first show with them in Raleigh. Played my second show in Athens, Georgia. Yeah. All Montreal approached me right after the show. Asked Being me if I want the home wanted. Of, of Montreal. Yeah. yeah they asked me to join the band right away and I was like okay <laughs> uh, when I'm done with this tour I'll come down here and play with you guys and I was like I didn't even really know who they were my friends knew who they were and yeah. I like saw them on Pitchfork and stuff but I, I wasn't really for that familiar with the band and I got like a intense crash course of the whole Elephant Six and um, Orange Twin Athens music scene in those like that month and a half that I lived there played with them and you know, it was, it's crazy. The, the whole caribou experience, I met everyone that I played with in those two months that I played with caribou.
1: Both of these stories involve you just sort of, like, staying in a place. <laughs> just going somewhere, traveling, and then just staying there for a while. I mean, you, you ended up yeah. in Athens, and you just sort of stuck around.
0: Yeah, it, it's funny, because it's kind of what I know. My family moved yeah. around a lot growing up. I never really lived anywhere for more than four years Yeah, at a time, and I was pretty much at that... Mark in Columbus, Ohio, where I lived before. And then I, the Caribou gig came up. And then the Montreal gig came up. So I just... I, I As soon as I got the Caribou gig, and I, I was like a week into that tour, I told myself, I don't ever want to have a job again. This is exactly what I want to be doing with my life. I'm, I'm putting all my eggs in this basket. So, you know...
1: Literally that moment, you turned the car around, and then you were a professional musician after that.
0: Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. It was really weird. It, I mean... To get even more detailed, I went home, I I had just cancelled a, a Sincane tour. You know, I was touring because we were gonna finish the Sinkane tour to end to play with Caribou in Columbus. Yeah. And I wanted to get super tight with the band and like like kind of like impress them at the show and I figured if if we do this, we'll definitely, you know, get a deal or something or that or the other, you know. My van blew up the second day of the tour, so I came home with like my with my tail between my legs. And I was on my way to a job interview because I didn't know what to do. You know, I quit my other job. Um, I didn't have any money. And Dan just happened to email me that morning about the gig. And it was a mass email. He, he emailed Steve Albini. He emailed, <laughs> he emailed, like, all of these other guys who were reputable drummers. And who who the hell am I? You yeah. Know? I to be on to... a list with
1: Steve Albini and yeah. all people.
0: And, um, and when he called me, I was so dumbstruck i i literally went home i packed my bags i got to the airport i overdrew my bank account on my plane ticket and i told myself this is it if i don't if i don't get this job if i don't like prove myself here then i'm just gonna go to grad school and study ethnomusicology or something you know
1: and i think you would have stuck to that if i if i if if things hadn't hadn't fallen through um i mean it's it's kind of it's cool to give yourself an ultimatum but do you think that um you know, do you think the universe would have been telling you something that it just wasn't the path you should be seeking? You know, probably. Mm-hmm. I, I hate to
0: admit that, but probably because yeah. I was in, I was in that interim where, you know, I didn't know what I wanted. To, I I had finished recording a Sincane record. I signed a, con, a record contract with this label from, from Missouri. Yeah. You know, so I had a record coming out, and I had to do another one anyway. But I was thinking, you know, maybe I can do this as a hobby more than a yeah. career but every time i had gotten to, up to that point i'd always say no fuck that i'm gonna i'm gonna do my thing and that was the first time that i really thought to myself maybe i shouldn't do music you know and it just so was, happened to was it, happen. it was
1: it you know were you getting to a certain age was it just this sort of idea that like if it hasn't taken off yet that it's not going to at this point
0: I think it was a lot of pressure, you yeah. know. I think a lot of the people that are that were close to me, that supported me, wanted me to do well. And they were saying, you know, you don't have to do it the way that you think you should. You can do it any other way, you know. Yeah. You, you, you can always make music, but you don't have to go hard like you're doing right now. And I started believing that kind of thing. But at the same time, I didn't, you know, I was so stubborn, I didn't want to. But it was the first time that I really thought about, like, maybe I should just... Get an ethnomusicology degree.
1: Do you think you know? he could have been happy doing that? Probably not. No, no. I yeah. mean, you're, no. you're a creature of touring and playing live and yeah. just being in bands.
0: It would have been weird, and I would have found something that I loved in it, you know. And I would have really liked the stability, but I'm really glad that it didn't happen.
1: Is, is that something that interests you? I mean, do you do you do you actively study music? Yeah, I yeah. do.
0: I think I'm obsessed with it. Yeah, and That's a good it's thing. it's one of those things where. I don't know what I, w- what I would do without yeah. music. You know, I, I I love every aspect of it. I love the history. I love the research. I love being a student of it. And I think about what else I can do and what other kind of musical project I can take on that's not, like, performing, you know? And, I, I, you know, I did that William Monibor thing where yeah. I was the MD, the music director for the project, that I really yeah. enjoyed that. And through that, I've been curious about maybe curating musical projects at, like, places like BAM or National Sawdust. Because you're doing, like that, you, know, you know, you're
1: doing this DJ set over here, and I know you you, you, you do those sets from time to time mm-hmm. outside of there as well, so you do, you're a curator in a sense.
0: Yeah, uh, but, you know, I, I come from professor parents, and they've instilled this, like, idea of uh, intellectualism yeah. in everything that you do, you yeah. know, there has to be, like, some serious systemic... You know, intellectual process in what you do,
1: which that must I make it hard to make music.
0: Well, no, actually, it, it, it's it's the reason why my music sounds the way that it does. Yeah, because you know? I've found these weird, abstract, intellectual connections between yeah. reggae music and country music, okay. or something. You know, something like that. And I really like that. And I I want to connecting wanted, the dots. Yeah, or like having having a deeper understanding that's not just you know, you went to music school and you learned about this, or you went yeah. to. Uh, you, you read a book about this person, but like, the their their like system of understanding is different from what I know, and it's influenced me pretty dramatically. And I really like that.
1: You know, you moved around a lot because they were professors.
0: Well, we emigrated to the U.S. in 1989
1: because yeah. my dad was. Were you in London before, or, su- or, 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 Sudan, or Sudan? Sudan, yeah. okay. I was born in London, but Okay, my father was – it's like, a weird story. I, yeah, yeah, I, re, I, I read uh, – I feel like I've read differing accounts in different places, and I'm like, I know that London and Sudan, and I know that those are all
0: – I was born in London. Okay. My dad was a diplomat yeah. for the Sudanese government, so I was born in London. And, and,
1: because... and your parents are Sudanese? Yes. Okay. So he was living in London, working at the
0: Sudanese embassy at the time. I was born. We moved back to Sudan. I lived there for about six – almost six years. Okay. And then he came to the U.S. to to do like a fellowship degree at Boston University, yeah. and um, it just so happened when he was here and when we came to visit him, the government that he was affiliated with was overthrown. So we applied for asylum, and ended up living in the U.S. Not oh. thinking that it was going to be this thing that like yeah. oh we're gonna this will you know this will this too shall pass we'll go back to Sudan we never did. So they had to start all over. You know my dad went back to school, his his degree wasn't uh, accredited in the U.S., so, so it's a pretty common expat story, you know? Yeah. Both my parents went to grad school, they got their PhDs, and they became professors.
1: It was really one of those stories where there's just really kind of was no country to go back to at the time. Yeah, the, uh, the,
0: the tale of the second
1: generation diaspora, yeah, you know? So, it's, it was an interesting upbringing. But so, you were, what, six or seven when you came to the States? Yeah, about six, about six years old, And yeah. where did you move initially?
0: We lived in Boston. And then we went to Utah, man. of all places, Provo, Utah.
1: I oh, well, that's where BYU is. That's where that's where he went to school. Okay, you I. I'm, You're the first person that has
0: known what BYU is. Oh yeah, yeah, That, I, no, that I've no, no, I, to. I, you know, I'm from I'm
1: from actually from Northern California. I had a lot of uh, Mormon, Mormon okay. friends growing up. I'm al- I'm always fascinated by this too. It's uh, I, I spent a little bit of time. I was seeing somebody from uh, Minneapolis, and it's mm-hmm. oh man, what is the there's a there's a really big immigrant population there. Uh, Hmong
0: population in Minneapolis? Yeah, yeah. Hmong, like the Southeast Asian.
1: And, uh, no, but there's I think there's also Somali. A, Somali, yeah, yeah. There's a huge, huge Somali, Somali. Yeah. population there, which is just sort of. It's one of those things, or, or like when you go to when you when you're driving through a town, or you're driving through a town in like like Nevada, and there's like one like Chinese restaurant, and mm-hmm. <laughs> I just that culture shock of going from literally africa yep. to minneapolis you know mm-hmm. boston probably was a little bit of that as well yeah i i can't even i can't imagine although when you're six you're probably a little more it,
0: well it, it kind of seemed like a game almost yeah to me you know when i was a kid i i didn't you know you just do what your parents tell you to do and um i really didn't get it much of a culture shock until i moved to ohio when i was 13 yeah. that was something else for me i mean so I went from more so
1: than than Utah or
0: Yeah, Boston. I mean when when I went to Utah, I didn't know any better. I didn't yeah. I didn't make anything of the fact that I was the only black male in my school and my sister was the only black female in our school. There was a really diverse elementary school that we went to. You know, and that has a lot to do with Mormons and missionary work and stuff like that yeah. bringing a lot of people. So I there are a lot of different kinds of people in my school, but
1: but you did not take any shit for it.
0: Well, I didn't take any shit for being black, but I definitely did take shit for not being Mormon, you know, and it wasn't like
1: sodas and
0: yeah, like (laughs) eating chocolate and caffeine and stuff like that. You know, my parents, we would always have missionaries come to the house trying to convert us and stuff like that, but it it didn't mean much to me. It just kind of seemed like, okay, well that's happening. But when I moved to Ohio, I was instantly among, I guess like a, a normal Midwestern city College yeah. town, liberal, um, many different kinds of people. Lots more black people in my school. Yeah, different like opinions, different religion. You know, lots of different kinds of people. So I I was really surprised by that, and a lot of people all of a sudden started trying to uh, pin me in a corner and say yeah. oh you you're a black kid who skateboards that's weird you talk funny you listen to white people music you do this and that and I never had to deal with that in Utah yeah. you know people were just like you're not Mormon well it's such whatever, a weird thing you know? though because
1: in in a way like the culture shock was the fact that it was multicultural <laughs> yeah, you, know, yeah. like, bef- you know moving to Utah it was a very different group of people but at least it was homogenous <laughs> exactly
0: it was it was um it was funny but I'm really glad that I experienced that yeah. you know and then you know at the, at the same time I would be spending three months out of the year in Sudan so I'd go I'd go a full school year huh. around these people that were giving me shit for this or that or yeah. whatever and then I'd go back to Sudan and I would get the same kind of thing in Sudan where yeah. p- people would say you're not really Sudanese you really got the, the diaspora thing down yeah I mean it's it's a common story a lot of people yeah. have dealt with it but I'm really really glad that I dealt with that because it allowed me to experience the world with an open mind you know I, I told myself I would never judge a person yeah. because of the way they talked or because they weren't really from this place or that place or whatever you know and it allowed me to experience things in this really open and beautiful way you know and um, I got to see how so many different kids from all over the United States and Sudan experienced the world you know they, they experienced it a lot differently than I did and it was really cool. So I'm, I'm, I feel like, I feel like I'm connected to a
1: lot of different kinds of things because. So of summer it. break every year, you would go to, to Sudan.
0: Yeah, literally, like the day after school. Yeah. And we'd come home from Sudan the day before school started.
1: Why spend that much time back there?
0: Because my family lived there. Yeah. Okay. My, Just, my the only family that we had in the United States were, you know, my with my sisters and yeah. my parents. All of my extended family lived in Sudan, so we needed to see them. You know, we went eight years without seeing them. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah. And my father would never go, you know, but it would be me and my sisters and my mom, and it was great. It was. A, I'm really glad that I had that experience. I'd, at the time, it was annoying because I just wanted to hang out in Ohio. It's a like,
1: long-ass plane ride for a kid, too. Yeah.
0: But it was, it was a lot of fun. And just being there and seeing, like, you know, it's, it's kind of like, Sudan's kind of like Cuba. You know, there's not much... The sanctions. There's not yeah. much. There's not any Western influence there. So you yeah. go there and you get to see like weird things, like uh, a KFC, but it's California fried chicken, you know. And it's like this weird, this uh, idea of what American yeah, products are like. Exactly, but but everything is like yeah. organic, and there's no um, th- there's no like mass manufacturing of anything. So yeah. you get this like beautiful. Uh, uh, organic experience there in a third world country. And then you come back to the United States and you just see this like crazy commercialized, yeah. super weird uh, place,
1: you know. But but to them, the, to the kids in Sudan, you were just an American.
0: Well, not necessarily just an American. Like, it, like I said, the whole traveling thing for me was a game. So yeah. when I'd go back to Sudan, I would spend, like, a month really trying to assimilate, dress like my cousins, act like them, yeah. you know, pick up my my, uh, my sling again, and, yeah. you know, it, it was, like, it took me a month. to. Get there. I have that
1: habit when, whenever I go somewhere, whenever I travel, where I start, like, picking up little mannerisms of, of mm. accents and things like that. You know? Exactly. I exactly to watch myself, because I feel like it would get, like, offensive if you leaned into it too much. But, yeah. you know, I, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's just sort of, like, path of least resistance, but yeah. you don't want to... You don't want to stand out, and you don't want to. Part part of me too, I think, is always. And I really started feeling this. Um, I'm, we're going to be feeling this again very soon. <laughs> uh, but I remember when Bush was president, mm-hmm. and anytime I would do traveling outside the U.S., it would, I, I would just be like, you know, I'm I'm just going to be as nice. I'm just going to go with the flow as much as possible. Yeah, I know that like I've already got this strike of being an American against me a little bit. I'm yeah. just going to kind of like try to blend in as much as humanly possible yeah I
0: mean it, it felt great to assimilate and there was a part of it that I mean a large part of Sudan that I feel connected to because I'm yeah. from there but you know even still after dressing like my cousins and being able to pick up the slang again and, and feeling like I totally assimilated people could tell that I wasn't Sudanese just by the way I walked you know huh. or, or I'd go play basketball with my cousins and I would be better than a bunch of kids and they'd ask me where I learned how to play so well? And I said, "Oh, I live in the U.S." And yep. they'd be like, "Oh, okay, you know, so you're not really from here, that kind of thing." How do
1: how does a Sudanese person walk?
0: I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's a weird from afar. It's a weird thing. I mean, there's yeah. this really great book that I read by uh, Philip Wamba called Kinship, and he beautifully paints the the story of like the second generation diaspora. He yeah. he's from uh, Zaire, and he talks about how he would go back and forth. And deal with very similar things, and I remember reading that book one one time when I was flying back from Sudan, and I was like, finally, I, I don't feel alone. You know, this is yeah. this is a universal
1: experience. People do feel this. You know, when does music really start coming in? When when did you really start getting into it?
0: I I played my first show when I was eleven.
1: Oh wow! Uh, in Provo. <laughs> what does an eleven year old do? Yeah. What is, what is that like? We covered
0: a lot of Pearl Jam. Okay. We did. So uh, you were in a band. As yeah. Eleven year old. Yeah. We were well, called Present Tense. It's
1: um, a very good eleven-year-old band name.
0: <laughs> Actually, at the time we were called Rigid Prawn. That is. It's even better.
1: That's almost. If yeah. you told me you were in a ska band, I wouldn't be surprised. I was
0: absolutely <laughs> obsessed with ska at the time. <laughs> I went to Scott Patrick's day that year in Provo, Utah. Yeah. It was, it was a thing. But, I mean, when I was a kid, when I was living in Sudan before I moved to the U.S., um, I remember having these really surreal experiences watching my grandfather. Recite religious stories in these big, huge religious gatherings, yeah. and he sounded like he was singing when yeah. he recited these stories. And I would literally hallucinate just like hearing him and like the, and the the repetition and kind of a mantra.
1: A religious experience? Did
0: it feel like at the time? It it felt like a religious yeah. experience, and it was and it was really profound. And it kind of shaped my understanding of of music, you know, spirituality and music tying in together. And I played my first show when I was 11 and I got that same experience and I haven't turned turned away since, you know. I, I knew that's what I wanted to do when I was 11 years old. And I spent every second of high school and middle school just being obsessed with music, going to shows, playing shows, starting bands with my friends, you know, and just d- d- doing whatever I could. I was that kid at every show that would have like the demo give it to the band that's how i met the caribou guys i gave them my demo
1: how did your your intellectual professorial parents feel about that
0: they were supportive i mean my dad my dad and my mom are very competitive people and they they're like well if this is what you're gonna do do it well you know and make sure you know what you're doing and and uh don't forget where you came from and you know, my dad always, to this day, he would always be like, "You should really add some Sudanese influence to this. That's that would be pretty cool." You know, yeah. and he was totally right. And I do that with Sin but yeah, um, they they've always been supportive. You know, they, maybe they might have not gotten why I wanted to do it for a while, but they've always definitely supported me. Were
1: you pushing back against the African influence early on, or at least trying to kind of uh, avoid it?
0: Um, I mean, when I was in high school. I was a, like an indie rock yeah. hardcore nerd. Yeah. That's that's all I cared about. I loved that. It felt like there wasn't a lot of
1: you know after the after the kind of after the Talking Heads went away like there wasn't a lot of that influence in that kind of music.
0: No, and I didn't even care because at the time I was a teenager and when you're a teenager you just want to rebel. Yeah. You know, and I I felt like a foreigner in a foreign land, and the closest thing that I could relate to was punk rock music because everyone felt like a foreigner yeah. in punk rock. So it was immediate. It, it was cathartic. It was really intense, and I spent all my time in that world, you know, through college, too. I toured the DIY circuit in the United States how many times, I don't know. And I, I had a distro. I sold tapes and records. I had a, a tape label, you know. I... I, I had a zine, you know, like I just went, I went this deep, shit. I went super deep yeah. into that.
1: What year is this about?
0: My bands broke up in 2006, okay.
1: so, I mean... So it was a little late for zine culture, but, uh, I mean, there was...
0: There was, a, there was like, yeah. hardly any in Ohio, yeah. or in Columbus, there was a, a couple, but, you know, they'd start and stop, but we, in Columbus, we, we had and still have a very... Very healthy DIY scene. You know, I know a
1: lot of people out there now. There's a there's a really big uh, cartooning community out there now. There's a like mm-hmm. a, a cartoon museum. They do like a big a lot yeah. of comics, comic stuff out there. It's yeah. really, it's an interesting city. And I didn't really start hearing about it. I mean, obviously, like I knew that it was a city, but I didn't. I didn't start hearing about it as kind of a cultural mecca of sorts. You know, not obviously not like a Chicago or even like a Minneapolis. But there's there's something happening there.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, Ohio has been a sleeper music town, yeah. or music state, state yeah. you know, for a very, very, very yeah, long got, time. Guided by Voices. Guided by yeah. Voices. Trent Reznor is yeah. from Ohio. Uh, Maynard James Keenan is from Ohio. <laughs> Devo, yeah. Uh, uh, Trent the, Reznor the,
1: and the Tool Guy are both from yeah. Ohio. That's interesting. The is there, is there a big industrial scene there, or was there's there? There's a big the metal scene in yeah. Cleveland. Huge metal scene. Joe Walsh is
0: from Ohio. Dwight Yoakam went to That's, Ohio State. Yeah. You know, he's from Cincinnati, I think. Uh, what else? There's a bunch of. Perubu. Perubu, absolutely. Cleveland,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, pretenders. Let's just name Ohio the, bands yeah, for the rest of the show.
0: Yeah. Just a, yeah. Uh, you know, the Black Keys, obviously. Like, yeah. Like flying the torch pretty high. There's a lot, you know? Um, and then you, you can get into the whole funk scene Bootsy Collins, Slave uh roger trotman and zap the ohio players like oh, wow. this huge yeah. huge yeah, yeah. huge yeah. scene yeah. there you
1: know was it too confining was that part of the reason why you ended up moving out well I, the thing about ohio or columbus in particular is it's
0: it's kind of like sweatpants it's like the most comfortable place well yeah. it's really easy to live there because it's cheap yeah. and you can not do anything and be fine but you
1: were, interestingly, like you were having that sort of, that bit of a crisis where you were trying to figure out if you were going to be able to play music professionally or, mm-hmm. or if you had a job, but it sounds like, I, w- I went to school, uh, I went to school in Santa Cruz, and I feel like there's a little bit of that, it's obviously a lot more expensive now, but there's a little bit of that uh, as well, when a lot of us were, you know, kind of getting ready to graduate, there was this question of, were you going to kind of stick around the city, or were you going to bum around the music scene, or were you going to go full in on mm-hmm. a job? and. You had that a little bit to some degree. Oh yeah, you felt like you were at a crossroads of sorts. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's like if you if you don't get a job and leave Columbus, you yeah. might like sink into this quicksand and just become like a a dude, you know, and just you hang know, out. it's
1: not it's not the worst fate in the world, right? I mean, I, there's nothing wrong with that. some people are happy.
0: There's nothing wrong with yeah. that. I mean, it, uh, it, what it what it made me realize is if you don't want to do anything and just chill out and work. A job, yeah. a normal job, at a deli,
1: or but you were too driven.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't want to do that, and and I could have stayed in Columbus, and you know did the thing where I go to L.A. and New York and yeah. politic and do that thing or whatever. But I didn't, I didn't want, I didn't think that it was necessary. Like, it was for a long time. I, I thought if I moved out of Ohio, I was going to be like selling out or something. You know, a lot of people believe that too.
1: That seems like such a Cleveland thing too. I get this, like, there's so so much everybody I know from Cleveland has so much like pride in the city yeah yeah. that the idea of like moving out to you know a bigger city is yeah
0: I think there are just a lot of people are scared yeah because it's not it, but it's also not there's a, a sense safe of, world
1: but also I, I think there's also a sense of you know and, and I, I think there's a lot of this in Detroit too is a sense of like well let's try to invest in our community let's try to build this up you know let's you don't have to move to Hollywood to make it right
0: right so that's that's what I realize is if I moved out of Ohio, I'm not going to be selling out because I can. I represent Ohio, you know, and wherever I go, I will always represent Ohio. Yeah, and it's made me who I am. I mean, I'm I'm indebted to the city of Columbus for breeding me. I started since came there. The people that influenced me uh, are amazing people, you know. And I, it's it's up to me to put it on the map and make sure that people know that this is a beautiful place. And when, when people ask where you're from, do you say Ohio? I say Sudan. Okay. You know, because that's ultimately where I'm from. But it sounds but, like,
1: in a way, Ohio is kind of the most home to you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, my formative years were there. Yeah. But I mean, it's like, it's like I said, I, I don't, I never really felt 100% American or 100% Sudanese. You know, there's always this weird thing that kind of sets me off. I always feel, you know. But um, Columbus is definitely a part of who I am, and. Sudan is also a part of who I am as well. Do you, do you go back to Sudan? I haven't been back since 2006. Okay, but I, I hope to come back soon. I mean, who knows now, <laughs> after the whole Trump
1: thing. But like, I, I'm curious. You know, especially the Saint Cain stuff you're doing, mm-hmm. which is very heavily African influenced. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many people over there have heard it, but I'm I'm really I've always sort of wondered what the the places where those music this music originally originated. What they th- they think about that what they feel about this like in a way like americanized or europeanized version of the music Mm.
0: well i think the response i've received from sudanese people is pride you know they're really excited to see someone who's like them do something something special you know
1: because of who you are and where you're from or because you're actually incorporating some elements i
0: think both yeah i think both i mean there are a lot of other sudanese artists who i'm friends with that don't necessarily incorporate Sudanese music or Sudanese elements as much as I do, or as like as uh as obviously as I yeah. do, you know. And and they they the their response from the Sudanese community is just is the same as as what I get, you know. Um, but you know, for me, ultimately, it's really important for me to show Sudanese people that there is a role model beyond a lawyer or an engineer or a doctor who. Who can represent Sudanese yeah. people? You know, there, there aren't any Sudanese artists out there that, pe-
1: that right now that they can like attach themselves to. And it, it is that thing of you know if you're if you're going to sort of if you're going to move to the states or or you know the UK or something, I it's probably slightly easier to do that if you've got a career where you're um, you know a diplomat or, or mm-hmm. a lawyer or a doctor or something that's really needed. I, yeah. It, unless you really get lucky and strike it big, it's got to be much harder to kind of to, to move up as a musician.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, some of my friends in Sudan who are musicians do music as a as a side hustle. Yeah. You know, because and, and their the, their response to that is is exactly right. They say I'm a dentist because people need dentists in Sudan. Yeah. You know, and that I mean I, I don't blame them by any means, but it's up to people like me or like Odyssey the rapper Odyssey or yeah, Sudanese yeah. or uh, yeah. al Sara or like you know for people like us to to do the best that we can to showcase that Sudanese people are doing it as well so we can bring back
1: and share the love with everyone there you know you must have thought about uh, touring or, or playing a Sinkane there
0: I hope so I hope we can do it soon I mean it's a little complicated but it won't be it won't be like out of the out of the cards, you know, like yeah. we'll, we'll figure it out. You know? It
1: would be really interesting to to go and not only tour, but really, uh, you know, to, to record there, you know, to kind of mm-hmm. to kind of go back to where a lot of this is from. And
0: I mean, I think, I think that it's bound to happen. My friend Alessandro has done it a few times, yeah. And um, Amir Odyssey and I we talk about it a lot, and um, it it's not. So, so you guys are the question. have you
1: guys toured at all, or are you guys? Who you and Odyssey?
0: We haven't toured together. We talk about it as well too, yeah. but we haven't done that. But um, I mean, it's bound to happen. It's one of those yeah. things. He has a record coming out soon too, and we're both gonna try to figure something out. It's
1: interesting because you know there's this there's this common thread between the two of you. It's very dip, two very different kinds of music, mm-hmm. but that 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 sort of that root, the fact that you're from the same place, yeah. is really enough to bring you together.
0: Yeah, I mean the experiences he's had. Yeah. Are very similar to mine, and they're also very different from mine, as well. But he, him, and I have a, a, strong connection. We're really good friends, and
1: I've got to Yeah, I mean, I have to imagine that that being a being a rapper from Sudan is different, if only because like, you know, obviously like hip hop is predominantly black, right? Mm-hmm. So it must be slightly different than the experience that you've had through indie rock, which is <laughs> very very white <light laughs> for the most yeah. part.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. He he also grew up in in uh, PG County and in. in uh, uh, Maryland so okay. he he he's seen a lot of things you yeah. know and he's experienced a lot there and uh, he eloquently paints that picture through his music and it's really great. when I when I hear what he's got to say you know in his songs, I'm always so inspired because yeah. he does a really great job of
1: explaining and painting this beautiful picture of his experience. So your dad was a big part of the reason why you you started playing African style music. Well, I wouldn't say. I
0: mean, I wouldn't but give him. He was him pushing all the you a little bit. Yeah, though, right. Both was... my both my parents. Okay. But you know I, what I think is, as an artist, you do you do or you create what you know. Yeah. And it's for as for as long as you can try to push away who you are, out of your your creative, uh, you know,
1: musical adventure or whatever, it's it's gonna come out. But you it must know? have been nice, too. Like, all of a sudden, you're like, oh, yeah, I've got this whole, this well. Yeah. I've got this, like, reservoir of well, music that I'll, I haven't tapped into yet.
0: I'll tell you exactly what happened. Right after all of my bands broke up that I was in, in college, I decided, okay, the next thing I want to do, I just want to do on my own. And when I started writing music, I realized, I if I'm going to represent myself, I need to do, be as honest as I can, and that's instantly what came out, huh. you know, Sudanese music, African music, yeah. and it was right around that time that I actually listened to or heard a lot of uh, African psych music from the 70s, specifically William O'Donoghue, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. I, I connected with that music so much because it it was the first thing that I heard that related to my experience, you know, it was like this distinctly African music that wore an American influence So earnestly and so honestly, and so in in such an inspired way, and I thought, this is what this is what I want to do. This is how I want to be known as. You know, so it gave me a lot of inspiration to um, and confidence to do exactly what I did. You know, like bring Sudanese elements out and figure out how to mix them with who I was as an American
1: when you were learning to play music were you learning on on those instruments to some degree was that part of the process of learning to perform you know a lot of those like african percussive instruments no actually no um so that uh, that came later
0: that definitely came later i mean i started the first instrument that i learned was the drums okay which i guess is technically sure. the the most <laughs> african instrument yeah. of all time <laughs> but um um i guess just through the constant listening and like absorbing of that the culture and the music, it just came out. It came second nature. Like when I sit in, and write a melody on the guitar, it just naturally sounds Sudanese to me. Yeah. And if it doesn't then I a lot of the times I don't know if I like it that much and then when it does have that like weird
1: East African pentatonic sound, yeah. I'm like, Oh, okay, now now we're getting somewhere. When you really started writing stuff, it was that kind of syncopated
0: well, the first 10 cane records were like super stony yeah.
1: ambient free jazz kind of okay. uh spiritual sounding stuff. So the the through line of the project was never this is what it's going to sound like musically. It's just this is going to be my yeah, I'm pure is whatever yeah. that
0: comes out of me. I yeah. mean, the first couple of records were were super amorphous and sounding like you know, droney kind of stuff and then when it started to get structured that's when the, the Sudanese and the East African influence started coming yeah. into play you know i was like oh you know ali Farukatori. that's what my dad listened to a lot growing up so that kind of vibe started coming out and then when that came out it was like oh well this sounds a little like Sudanese music and then I, it just started spewing and every record it just comes more and more and more
1: so funny once you realize what you were actually doing subconsciously yeah it just became that much easier yeah exactly it's and weird that's...
0: it's weird how that works and i think every artist deals with that once they hit a stride yeah. it's like it's like opening the floodgates you don't know what's co- it you
1: can't even feel what's happening because it's just so powerful did, did you feel any uh, did, did you enjoy like you know we mentioned like the talking heads and i know that you've done stuff with uh Uh, David Byrne, you know that stuff that was really obviously influenced by that music, but is very white at the end of the day. (laughs) What what was your reaction when you first started hearing that?
0: You mean like the the African influence on other people?
1: Yeah, I mean, Talking Heads is probably the clearest example from the Mm -hmm. past, you know, like thirty years of that that mainstream culture. Was that something that you associated with, or was it just so I loved it? Okay, I loved it, and like,
0: and I still love it, and I think that music is an inspiring thing and when one person is inspired by yeah. something and and mixes and mashes it yeah. together, it, it creates something incredibly unique. And the thing about it is all of the African psych music I was listening to from the seventies yeah. was inspired by James Brown. Yeah. yeah so yeah. They, they would bring the American influence yeah. into them. And not only was it inspired by James Brown and all of those Motown artists, it was inspired by the African inspired records that they made. Yeah. yeah. So this, it's just this like yeah. So, so what back and I rea- forth, yeah. well, what I realized is there's this, in this like, idea of Africa, yeah, that exists that doesn't that isn't created or associated by Africans or Americans. You know, like for instance, I, the story, when I would go back to Sudan, my friends would be like, "Hey, you're going back to Sudan? Why, why don't you? Uh, can you bring me back a dashiki?" And I was like, "Okay," and then my cousins would be like, "Oh, you're coming from America? Yo, I'm really into Prince Paul." Can, yeah. you, can you bring me a dashiki? You know? So, like, this... Th- they see Prince Paul dressing up like an African, like Afrofuturist or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then my cousins have this idea of Africa yeah. as a dashiki. They, this idea of a dashiki, like, creates this whole new understanding of what Africa is or African culture is that, yeah. that isn't created by either... You know, it's just the influence that, that uh, both um, people put onto each other, you know? So... That I think is an amazing experience to to be in the middle of, like you know, when I'm sitting here, like I'm not really African, I'm not really American, but then both sides are like influenced by this yeah. idea, you know. It's, it's really so funny that
1: you've and then you sort of found this. Like I, um, they call it uh, when you listen to old movie, like when you watch old movies from the. You know, uh, like like 40s and 50s, everyone speaks with that really sort of stilted accent. Yeah, exactly. It's a transatlantic accent. Yep. Yeah. And it's this this idea of sort of let's um, let's find some middle ground that we you know we can appeal to people in America, we can appeal to people in England. Yeah. And so you sort of you you kind of you found that musically. You you found this sort of this interesting place in between. You just didn't you, maybe you didn't know it was in you.
0: Yeah, I mean. It it inspired me to open up, to understand this about many kinds of music. You know, yeah. that that's where my connection uh, between reggae music and country music came along, and African music and African American yeah. music, and then literally all of those kinds of musics together. They 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 come from what I'm what I'm understanding is that this idea comes from a very similar place. You know, oppressed people all around the yeah. world needed a catharsis something that they could they could uh, purge out their feelings as earnestly and honestly and as immediately as possible and they went to music yeah. and the sentiment that
1: exists in all of those musics is all the same and the, and the flip side of that too and and you know hopefully this is something that will like help get us through the next few years is <laughs> um you know the other side of that is that you know that's what that's what ends up connecting people mm-hmm. you know that's in a lot of ways, it's um, you know sometimes it's it's music or film or I you know I, I guess sports also, but that's it, it's this it's entertainment that helps bring people together. That like at the end of the day, that's a lot of what breaks down a lot of those barriers. For absolutely,
0: people. that's definitely absolutely true. And I mean, it's pretty funny what can happen at a Cincane show because we have all of these different ideas happening together that are connected by one thing. It creates a really powerful yeah. thing. Really powerful message, especially when everyone in the in the band. There's more than just me, just playing the stuff, you know. And we aim to spread that, and it it, uh, it creates a really positive message, and that's that's like one of the reasons why I do music, you know.
1: It, it must have, you know. I mean, that part of that that light switch flipping off, though, is the realization that uh, when you really tapped into, you know, this sort of this pure thing, that's when people started listening to it. Yeah, you know, I mean that's yeah, that's where because exactly. you know you were doing records before, but it sounds like right around the time you really started picking up. I mean, was was that around Mars? Was I think it was of, around Mars. Yeah, 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 and that's and that was really a breakthrough for you. Yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, well, you know, it's it's funny you say that because I I think I am, I, t- I amounted to that was the first time I was really vulnerable with myself musically. You and know? that's w-
1: that's when I heard about you. That's probably when a lot of people really started yeah. hearing about you.
0: And I I started. To not be so afraid to express myself, you know, and it it, it wasn't it wasn't just me doing that. My friend Greg Lafaro, who I've worked with since Mars, really brought that out of me. You know, he was the first person who would push me and to finish something, or yeah. if I I, I I so easily would abandon ideas if it didn't happen right away. But he he really pushed me to get the ideas out. And then whenever we talk about what the song was about, he'd really, really, really question me until I. Let it out, you know, and i i I was afraid you know we finished the record and I was like I don't want to fucking release this thing this this is like I feel like I'm naked here, you know, but he pushed me to do it, and I'm really glad that we, I'm really glad that we did lyrically or everything everything yeah. I mean he he is like my right hand man and he writes a lot of the lyrics um we t- we discuss what we want to talk about, and then he goes into his you know uh, library but i mean is then, that
1: is that where you end up feeling the most vulnerable is is lyrically
0: n- not only but yeah, yeah. i mean obviously now yeah. more than ever because lyri- lyrics are the most important part in, to a song if you're singing you know it's um, also
1: yeah i mean it's also the most literal part it's yeah. also you know i mean
0: it's a big the best way to connect
1: yeah but also it's the easiest to read into for yeah. listeners
0: but also musically just having these ideas of I want to mix these things together. Or I want to try this weird idea that might not work. And as you know, when you finish a record and you release it out into the world, it's no longer yours. It's it's everyone else's and all people want to do is c- critically respond to it, you know? There's a few people that are that would just want to listen to it and enjoy it. Yeah. But everyone has something to say, and you just as an artist you have to get used to understanding that there are people that are going to like it and there are people that are not going to like it. And those p- people that don't like it are going to be mean and they're just going to talk shit. And, like, that's hard. It's hard as, a, as an artist to, like, allow yourself to be that vulnerable, you know? A lot of people don't do it for that reason. But it makes you a better person and it makes you a better artist. And do, and do you, you feel know? that you've got to
1: some degree change from record to record?
0: Yeah. I mean, I've I've been more confident. Yeah, I'm a hell of a lot more confident now than I was three records ago. But But the thing
1: that would you know, one of the things I think that would stop you from doing that is this idea of, you know, I, I found something that people like, why would I want to change it up?
0: Yeah, or like, you know, falling from such great heights or something. Yeah. you know, like uh, this is not only do are people connecting to this, but I've succeeded with this idea. yeah, and i if if I don't do this again or if I don't do it exactly like I did before, I might and not, you know, not everybody who listens to music likes to be challenged, yeah by it at exactly, the end of the day exactly. I mean, I've picked the most polarizing genres of music to work with. You know? Yeah. Reggae music isn't easy yeah. to listen to for a lot of people. You either like it or you don't. Reggae
1: music... I don't know that reggae music isn't easy, but reggae music is a very easy thing to do wrong.
0: Yeah. You know? That's Re- definitely true. Yeah. There's
1: I, there's... I think I think what makes reggae so hard for people is that there's so much more bad reggae. Yeah. That's true. Or at least, like, the stuff that you end up hearing is just is really terrible.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean... But that was, but you were African hesitant to do it. Well, I mean, no, I wasn't hesitant to do it. I was never really hesitant to do it. But the only thing that I was hesitant about was like exposing the message that I wanted to expose. You know, because it's like it's literally like like everyone is your shrink when you're yeah. a musician. You're just letting this out and being like, "Hey, this is yeah, what I'm talking about myself here. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with my identity. I have these weird issues with religion." And, um, uh, I, I'm mixing, I'm mixing all of this within the, the confines of reggae and African music yeah. and a little bit of indie rock. Is that cool with you? You know, of I mean, kind that's weird. probably the best
1: place to do it, right? If you're, if you're having an identity crisis, yeah. what better way than mixing indie rock and African music? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But
0: I mean, yeah. it's so much fun for me, you know, to, to do that and the way that I do it. And everyone that is involved with Sincane has a lot of fun
1: doing it as well, so. Do you it's still great. do you still feel a crisis of identity? I mean you seem pretty comfortable in your skin at this point
0: well I've come to terms with not knowing and okay. that, that was hard for me for a really long time but especially with this album yeah I, I realized there there aren't any answers you know like I, I remember going back to Sudan and visiting the town where my dad grew up and there was this town elder who helped gr- raise my dad and I remember going to meet him and it was this really surreal almost like David Lynch. Vibe going into his his house, and he's waking up from a nap, and he says, "It's like, listen, man. So you need to understand that you come from a nomadic family. If you went to go see where I grew up, it would just be a bunch of bush. And you need to understand that you're never going to find your home, and it's going to find you. And until that moment, you have to keep searching. And then it was like Phew. he like man. disappeared in smoke, and yeah. he was gone. You know? Yeah. And it stuck with me, and yeah. it was it was crazy, and then like. Uh, crazy experience to just devote my time to touring and meeting people and doing what I've got to do, but always having that in the back of my mind. But I realized what he was trying to tell me was that you have to be comfortable with not knowing what's ahead of you. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of hours. And once I got to a point where I really understood that and accepted it, I felt really comfortable in my skin, you know?
1: Do you feel like you found a home or are you still looking? I don't know. I mean, I, I you seem pretty comfortable in New York. You've been here for a little while. I've lived in New York
0: longer than I've ever lived in any other town. Oh, yeah. And I think that the longer I live here, the the less I think about moving. Yeah. And it's got everything I like. The food here is great. It's super diverse. Um, I have a beautiful girlfriend. We have a great apartment. I mean, it's a really great place to live. The music scene in New York is amazing, especially yeah.
1: now. So talk about being like, you know, diaspora. I mean, this is like, it's a perfect yeah. place to be, right? The melting pot of everything. Yeah.
0: But the, the thing about it though is, I don't think I'll ever stop touring. Yeah, I love touring, and I think that that's also my home. You know, meeting people and but you, but uh, it's really nice to have a
1: place to come back to, and absolutely. A person, obviously, a person to come back to. Also, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: absolutely. I mean, it, it's it's the first time that I've been able to learn how to build two worlds. Yeah to live in, you know, two environments to live in on tour and at home as well.
1: Looking at what's happened over the past couple months, you know, with with Trump and then with all the refugee stuff, has that really have you kind of questioned a lot of a lot of that of a lot of just like how welcome you really ultimately feel in the US? You know,
0: my my family in nineteen eighty nine was granted asylum by the US government. Yeah. And we were helped tremendously to flee a really terrible situation and that asylum gave my entire family a second chance a new beginning and we've taken full advantage of that and built a family dynasty that I'm very proud of you know and are contributing, yeah, to and contributing to contributing to society I pay my taxes yeah. I do all of that kind yeah. of stuff and if anything what's been happening with Trump has made me question his loyalty to the United States sure. you know I mean I mean the United States is built by immigrants. You know, everyone here who who is American is an immigrant. You know, except for the, obviously Native Americans. But like, I, I don't believe that. I don't believe that uh, this this idea that he is projecting
1: um, is. Representative, or... well,
0: it's not. It's not. Give. It's. It's yeah. not uh, achieving the the the, what he what he hopes to achieve. If anything, it's sure. bringing sure. bringing a lot of people together to fight against it to show exactly what America stands for. You know, it's a welcoming place. Everyone here is. Uh, po- uh, there's a lot of people here who are positive, who want to have uh, an open arms policy to people and to help people. You know, um, so I'm really optimistic about what's what's happened in the last week in particular, the last two weeks uh, since his presidency, because a lot of people have come together to fight against it and really flexed their uh, muscles and showed, you know, if you want to fuck with us, you can try, but you're not going to get anywhere.
1: But but your history makes it that much more immediate, you know. There are certain, when when you look at, you know, uh, an immigration ban, a refugee ban, um, you can point to a very clear moment in your life where uh, if the rules had been a little bit different... Mm -hmm you wouldn't be here, you know, you wouldn't, you know, you, you wouldn't be experiencing any of this. So it's, I mean, it's, it's that much more relevant to you and your experience.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it makes me really proud to be an American and, um, I, I don't have anything to, to deal with. I'm an American citizen, so
1: I don't don't have to deal with much, but, um. But if you look at where you were and if you look at what your family was going through, mm -hmm. they might not have made it through. Right.
0: but the thing about this is, people that need the people need to understand is that this isn't the first time it's happened. Sure. You know, nine eleven happened, and yeah. my family uh, was in danger around that time. There was a Muslim registry around that time as well, yeah. and there was a Muslim ban too. Like, it's happened before many times in the United States. This isn't anything new. Um, the, if anything, we need to zoom out a little bit and understand the state of the world. What's going on that's caused this yeah. response to uh, this uh, to uh, to a Muslim ban? You know, it's not just. Uh, What's going on in the United States? But there's a huge issue that people need to understand is happening all over the world. Do you feel like you have a
1: a, a platform? Um, You know, are 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 these ideas, things that you're thinking about, with your music?
0: Absolutely. I mean, my band represents the United States and the world holistically. We are six people that come from six different places, um, many different cultures there's a Filipino lady in my band there's a, uh, two black folks a white guy an Asian person in my band we are a multicultural representation of the world this is what this is what the world is you yeah. know and yeah. we we have a very positive message that we want to express and, and present to a lot of people and when you come to a Sin show it's a safe place to be who you are to understand that we're all connected we're all vibing off of this really beautiful experience and um the, our music is, our music is a uh, very culturally diverse as yeah. well, you know, and it represents every aspect of the world. And um, I think it's our time, and it's really important what we what we're doing right now. And I hope people can understand that and get to experience it with us. Is it something that, that you're interested in exploring lyrically? Yeah, I mean, I mean, like I said, as an artist, you
1: maybe you, not like fuck Trump the song, but no. But as an artist, <laughs> you
0: write what you know, yeah, and the most important thing about me specifically with this album was to write about my experiences and I wrote about my experiences as a Muslim American as an African as an African as an American in Africa um, as a child of the second generation diaspora uh, my issues with identity you know like all of that kind of stuff these are all universal ideas that people deal with that uh, tend to be political at times and also, you know, introspective at, yeah. in other times. Is
1: this a more personal
0: album for you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's life and living it. It's like, the, yeah. it's exactly what it is.
1: Yeah. Uh, is it is it different musically? I've, I've heard it a little bit, but...
0: Well, it's... You know, what I did, what I wanted to do was... Go, I, I, w- I went back and I listened to the last two albums, Mars yeah. and Mean Love, and I picked out the ideas that I really, really liked. Yeah. The things that I thought I could do really... Uh, that I did really well with those albums and and i tried to do those ideas justice i tried to give i tried to do them better what did you really like about the last two albums i really liked how i represented myself as an african and as an american so like the the funk and soul the yeah the um the african the psychedelic elements all of those melodies i really enjoyed and i would go back to songs like Jeeper creeper or um, how we be or like yeah. uh you know, uh, new name. You know, yeah. and I listen to those and be like, well, how can I, how can I, take this idea and continue the conversation? You know. Yeah. Um, and it was great because it led me to some places that I never thought I would get to. You know, or, or for instance, like the idea of like adding pedal steel and the country influence yeah. to the songs. I, I thought to myself, what is it about the te- pedal steel? What, what emotion does it convey? Yeah. For me, you know, and how can I. Boil it down to that emotion, and and bring that essence into the song. You know, so these those elements are a bit more nuanced than they were. You know, on the previous albums, where it's just like a, la- a, a like a, a wash of pedal seal on top of something. But,
1: but you, so that's part of your starting point. Is you know, let's take these two sounds, let's take these interesting sounds, and see how they fit together.
0: Well, not just sounds. Yeah. I mean, when 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 I am talking about sounds, I would I would say. What is this sound conveying? What emotion? What feeling? Yeah. Why? Why? What do I get out of this when I listen to it? You know, pedal steel is a very cosmic yeah. sounding instrument, and yeah, it in in and yeah. it uh, evokes this like really spiritual yeah. energy. You know, and psychedelic to some extent, but really mainly spiritual and cosmic. Interesting. And I think so.
1: That 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 original. We talked about this a little bit before, but that original in a in a more roundabout way you're kind of coming back to that original spiritual religious exactly. experience that you had early it, on Exactly. And so it's music as worship or music as trying to commune with something larger? I think
0: connect with yourself. Yeah. You know, that's what spirituality is to me is connecting with yourself and and you know
1: being in tune
0: with with who you are, yeah. you know, and this, in mean, in a it's a it's a the relationship you—it's a bit existential, I guess. You know, it's a, the relationship you have with yourself yeah. and your life, um, and it's—it's it's a really intense relationship, you know. And and um, other things like the the African elements and the drums and uh, yeah. the, the the patterns and the rhythms and stuff. How how do those represent me as an African, and how can I be very clear about those and meld those with the American influences? You know, the funk and soul sounds and rhythms and production qualities how, how do i meld those in a in an honest way where if i feel like i'm representing myself as a person you know
1: you mentioned james brown earlier and a lot of the things that connects all these different kinds of music is that and i think that this plays a large part in a number of your songs is this sort of celebratory sense you mm-hmm. know of, of mm-hmm. just music as as, as as deep as you want to go into you know your, your personality and as, as naked as you feel mm-hmm. at the end of the day a lot of these are just sort of like celebratory like dance like party songs
0: well that ties everything together yeah. because it's a it's about community it's about connecting with people yeah. and I, I end the conversation by giving you the or I, I begin the conversation by giving you the record and then you respond back at the show you yeah. know and it becomes this thing that's what the the religious gatherings uh, were like with my grandfather. It was a call and response. You know, he would recite and people would respond back. He respond back. And that's what, that was my first understanding of what a show was, yeah. you know? And that's what I want to do. I want to have that connection with people and that uh, spiritual, sp- I want to have that spiritual connection or also just have any kind of connection with people, you know, through the music.
1: There you go. That was Ahmed of Sin which, uh, I'm slightly embarrassed to say that I did not know how to pronounce until we had that conversation. I've been using the the Spanish pronunciation thus far. But uh, I'm glad we got that cleared up. I've been a big fan of the band for a while, specifically... Recommend you uh, you pick up the last three records, starting with Mars in 2012. Uh, the new one just came out last month. Life and living it on city slang. They, uh, really, really terrific. I think he's doing some of the most uh, not only some of the most interesting, but just some of the most purely enjoyable music out there. He's 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 mixing a lot of stuff that uh, I think uh, really just a lot of uh, a lot of sounds and influences that are, are largely missing from the world of uh, indie rock uh thanks so much to him for taking the time to do that thanks to hector for setting that up really really enjoyed that conversation uh thanks to you guys as always for listening to the program if you like the show you should uh rate us wherever you get your your podcast it it, it would mean a lot to us we haven't had a rating for a little while and it 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 definitely helps you know it uh these are i don't think anybody i don't think anybody outside of uh Apple headquarters knows how ratings work on iTunes, but, uh, we do know that rating helps that, uh, that will help us, uh, push us up the list a little bit and will, will help us uh, promote ourselves a little bit. Uh, so please do that. If you really like the show, consider supporting us over on our Patreon we, uh, we stopped running ads on the show a while back, so we're actually doing the program at a loss right now. Uh, you know, it, it certainly yeah, costs money to host up a show like that, so uh, please uh, please consider doing that. If you've uh, got any feedback, it's rylcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Tumblr, that's rylcast.tumblr.com, and that's the first and best place to get all your R-I-Y-L-related information. Uh, Like us on Facebook and I think that's about all I got for you guys this week. So uh, thanks so much for listening and stick around because we'll be back just about this time next week with another episode of R.A.Y.L.